Gwen, and uh, thank you, Honorahi, for leading us today. It's just wonderful to all get together, um, three uh, centres at one centre. Um, and uh, I was struck particularly when we were singing the national anthem with that phrase, um, guide us in the nation's van. It must be quite a big one. I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, somebody will need to tell me afterwards, but I looked at the... Well, right, okay. <laughs> Um, but then it goes on to say, preaching love and truth to man. And I was thinking at that point of all our mission partners overseas, you know, preaching love and truth um, to people in, in Indonesia, in Zimbabwe, um, in Mozambique. Um, and uh, so I was kind of singing, as I was singing that, I was thinking of those people. And I don't know if you ever get moments of inspiration during a song and suddenly um, the Lord just shows you something and brings your attention to something. But... I think um, these songs that are written, these hymns that are written, um, are very inspiring. Um, anyway, today I just wanted to ask the question, did you begin the year with uh, clean sheets? You'll find out what I mean in a minute. Oh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's wash day, is it? Okay. Um, I read recently about um, Italy's Forrest Gump. Um, I don't know if you recall, in 1994, uh, the epic film Forrest Gump, um, starring Tom Hanks. Um, there's a scene when he decides to run across America trying to find deeper meaning in life. And he gains quite a following, about 20 people, actually. Uh, but lots of people are following him on the radio and on the TV, and suddenly he stops in the middle of the desert, and he says... I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. Something like that, anyway. Well, on December the 8th last month, uh, it was reported that there was an Italian man who was infuriated with an argument with his wife who stepped outside to cool off. Lynette, if we could have the next one, thanks. But he ended up walking 450 kilometers over seven days. The unnamed 48-year-old man was from the northern city of Como on the Swiss border, and he hiked for a full week in an attempt to calm his anger after he had fallen out with his wife. He walked an average of 68 kilometers a day. That's from here to, the, to Brenduren, so if you can imagine that, seven days in a row. The man's cooling-off voyage ended in Fano, a small town on the Adriatic where a few police officers stopped him at 2 a.m. in the morning. He was found to be quite cold and tired, and he said, look, I've come here on foot. I didn't use any transport. Along the way, I met a few people who offered me food and drink. They just didn't believe him because he was breaking the COVID lockdown. They didn't believe him. So they flicked onto the internet and they checked, and they found out that his wife had reported him missing a week ago. So what did they do? They rang up his wife and they said, would you come and collect your husband? We found him in Fana. So the wife arrived and the police reunited them together and then presented the wife with a hotel bill for one night in Fana and a 688 New Zealand dollar fine for breaking COVID curfew. So walking away from relationships may make you feel better for a little while, but it will never promote good relationships and it certainly won't fix the original problem and it can be very costly. 
So today as we start the new year, the question is, shall we start with clean sheets? So today, we're looking at a topic, in fact, over the next few weeks of the summer of love. The summer of love was a term that was coined in the 1960s to talk about the, the uh, revolutionary age of the hippies who walked off. They had a concern that was countercultural, and they had a concern for the world at the time. They were looking for a new hope in the world, but it was dashed by the escalation of the Vietnamese War and also the assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy. And it actually, in the end, developed into, into a drug-fueled free-for-all. That's really what it was. But this January, we want to redeem the phrase, the summer of love, by looking at the first book of John. So this week, I'm going to be looking at 1 John 1, next week, 1 John 2, and then Howard's going to look at 1 John 3, and then Anosa, 1 John 4, and then Howard will finish off on 1 John 5. John, one of the apostles, wrote this letter. He was the one whom it says in the scriptures, whom Jesus loved. And he was speaking to Christians that were scattered throughout Asia Minor due to persecution. And he was teaching them about the costly love of Christ. And he encourages his readers and his hearers to love one another out of that sacrificial love of Jesus. I've titled this message, Starting the Year with a Clean Sheet, um, because I was at the dinner table the other day and one of my um, young adult children said to me, Dad, what are you going to give up this year? Or what are you going to do that's different? I thought about ice cream for a minute, but then it was rather nice that night. So I reckoned, as I was thinking about today's message, that if I could take a hold of this, this would be a great New Year's resolution because what it's all about, it's about my relationship with God and it's my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So the essential message of John's first chapter is this, that we cannot have true fellowship with God or with others unless we have clean sheets. By that I mean we need pure hearts. Purity of heart comes from being open and honest with God and with our brothers and sisters. And this flows out of humility and honesty when we acknowledge and we truly confess our own shortcomings. Not only to God, but sometimes even to one another. James says in his epistle, confess your sins to one another. And ouch, do we find that hard. You see, God and his great love for us has made a way for us to do this. And that's what I want to look at today. So in this first chapter of John, John Stott points out that John was actually refuting three heresies of the day. You see, in Ephesus, where he was writing, it was a very religious community, and there were all sorts of temples to all sorts of gods. And as people were becoming Christians, they were bringing their philosophies into the fellowship. And they had all sorts of beliefs that were not really Christian. A heresy is a doctrine that can creep into the life of a church as it swallows and imbibes the philosophies of the world around it. 
As one person said, there can be too much of the world in the church and not enough of the church in the world. These heresies are actually echoed in our modern contemporary society, which is pluralistic and consumer-orientated, where my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Now let's be frank and say, truth is truth, is it not? So truth is not relative. If something's true, it's true for me and it's true for you. Otherwise, although it might seem nice, it's actually not truth. So after giving witness to John's relationship with Christ, he talks about that which we've seen, that which we've heard, that which we've touched, that which we've looked upon. He then declares that God is light. And then John begins each of three sections, which I just want to touch on briefly today, with the phrase, if we claim that, and then he enunciates the common heretical teaching, and then what he does, he contradicts the false claim, and then finally he gives the positive Christian truth to his hearers, because they've been imbibing the spirit of the world. So let's just look briefly at those three things. The first thing is, the first heresy was a denial that sin breaks our fellowship with God. This is what John writes. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin. The false teaching here is that people were saying it's possible to have fellowship with God who is light, but at the same time continually and habitually walking in darkness. You know, it's not uncommon for people to claim that they know God and they have fellowship with God and that they're clearly living lives which are inconsistent with holy living, thus living in the darkness. John is saying here that faith without morality is ludicrous. So known unconfessed sin breaks fellowship with God because he's light. We have to have our sins cleansed through the blood of Christ. And then we can enjoy true fellowship with God and with one another. To walk in the light means to be sincere, to be open, to be honest, to be transparent with God and one another. So sometimes even in our own faith community, there's a need to be honest and open with others, and we may need to confess our sins to one another, in private perhaps, and sometimes publicly, that is even done sometimes, if relationships have broken down where people apologize and say, sorry, I got it wrong. Then we can truly live in the light. And then there is an openness and a compassion that flows because we suddenly realize that we're all fallen. We all have struggles. We all have difficulties. The trouble is within our community, often when we come together, we show the best side of us. Like you're seeing today. No. Sorry. The second point is this. John says a denial of sin 
there's a denial of sin that actually exists in our human nature. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What does this mean? This heresy is far more serious than the first one because this heresy actually denies there is such a thing as sin. Are we born good and then grow up? Or are we born bad and then grow up and become sanctified? That's the question. You know, when you look at a little infant, you see a little infant and you see the perfectness of that little baby, you think, right, this is just perfect. But actually sin is part of our nature. The first thing that often children can say is no. You know, today, people find all sorts of intellectual arguments to explain sin or bad behavior, like interpreting the bad things that happen by some physiological or psychological or social issue. Some people believe that the way of purity comes through enlightened thinking and increased knowledge. Others think that by doing good deeds that can cancel out our sins. I remember a neighbor said to me one day, I did something for you, she said, oh, you've done your good deed for the today, God will be pleased. But John says here, people who believe and teach this are actually deceiving themselves. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, said this. He said, surely I was sinful from birth, from the very time my mother conceived me. And Paul says, like the rest, we are by nature children of wrath. Not only that, but anyone who denies that they are sinful has no clear understanding, really, of who Christ was and what Christ came to do. John reminds us, in fact, in chapter 3, verse 8, he said, the Son of God appeared for this reason. This is the reason he appeared, folks. He appeared to destroy the works that the enemy had done. He came to destroy sin. That's what Jesus came for. When he was born, before he was born, the angel said to Joseph, you will call him Jesus because he will the one, be the one who will save our people from their sins. John is saying here that the only means of cleansing sin is to be honest and specific. John Stott writes this in his commentary. He says, what is required is not just a general confession of sin, but a particular confession of our sins as we deliberately call them to mind and confess and forsake them. Honest repentance means turning away, I'm not doing that anymore. Proverbs 28:13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Finally, the third heresy that John was tackling here was this one. The denial of sin makes God to be less than perfect. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This particular heresy, claiming that if we don't sin, 
actually is the worst of the lot because it makes God out to be a liar. If we claim that, then anything we claim that God is saying, if we believe that, anything that we say, oh, God's saying this, that must be a lie. Which means his spirit does not speak to us the truth, and it means the word does not speak the truth to us. And therefore, there is no ultimate truth. I'm sorry, this is a little bit heady, but we're getting there. And John goes on to say this. He says, Jesus alone is the righteous one. That means he was completely in a right relationship with God the Father. In other words, only Jesus Christ is completely without sin and therefore makes him the only one who can purify us. Only perfection can eradicate imperfection. Um, many years ago, if any ladies are interested in this, or guys, sorry, um, I got this thing called When Stain Attacks. And it gives you all sorts of uh, wonderful remedies for when, for example, you spill beer on the couch or you leave your chewing gum um, in your clothes um, or um, if you bring motor oil into the house, you guys, um, you know, grass stains and things like that. Um, and it gives all the right remedies for cleaning. Uh, if anybody wants a copy, let me know. I can send it to you. But the point I want to make here is that Jesus is the only one who can cleanse us from our sins and purify us. Not only does he forgive our sins, but he cleanses us from them. And I want to just read a short little testimony to you and then just come into land. Many, many years ago, some of you may have heard this, there was an elderly man, an 81-year-old man called Frank. Um, and this is what he wrote. He was in our church in Wanganui. One day, I knelt. If I prayed, it was without words. I was not conscious of anything around me or outside of me. There was not a sound. Quite gradually, where I knelt was filled with a light. A diffused light, not strong, not bright, and a great peace was there. In the peace, I became aware of a voice saying clearly, Frank, all your sins of the past 80 years are forgiven. You have received the Holy Spirit. The light gradually faded away. I remained kneeling, and I, and I knew with absolute certainty, with total conviction, that I'd been cleansed and that I was born again. My life has been changed. I'm at peace with myself. I'm no longer judgmental, self-indulgent. My faith and my belief in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior are unconquerable. I have experienced the pure love of Christ. I need nothing more. We're looking at the summer of love. The greatest love that we can receive is appropriating the sacrificial death of Jesus upon the cross for our sins. Now, many of us know that, but there may be some continual repetitive sin in your life that you've not broken free from, and the Lord can break you free from it. It just takes honesty and belief that he can do it. And I just want to offer a little bit of a time at the end of this message. I'm going to ask 
um, if we could have a little song to play. You won't hear the words, you'll see the words coming up. And if you want to kneel where you are and just start this year with a clean sheet, you can do that. If you want to come and kneel up along here, you can do that. Just during the song and just make your peace with God. Thank you.